Hello everybody, this is Andrew Gamison, and as you uh, may realize, uh, this week is the uh, 48th anniversary of the Roe vs. Wade and Doe vs. Bolton decisions that legalized abortion in all 50 states through all nine months of pregnancy, and I think it's important each year for us to reflect on the successes that are needed and what we need to continue to pray for. Uh, and I think this is especially true as we have inaugurated the 46th president of the United States, Joseph Biden, to the office of president as of this recording. And so we're going to take a look around um, the United States and at some of the positive things that are happening as a result of people's work in the pro-life movement. I think it's important for us to know what is going on and what we're dealing with and how we can continue to be a voice for the voiceless. And as I often say, the reason this is so important to me is that God created man in his image and mankind is the only creation of all the creation in the creation week where God used his hands to form man out of the dust of the ground. Everything else he spoke and it existed. In the case of man, he formed man out of the dust of the ground and then he breathed into mankind the breath of life. And so that is the difference between mankind and the rest of creation. That is why we need to hold tight to a biblical ideology that prizes human life over anything else. And we need to be a shining light in those regards in this crooked and perverse generation as Philippians lays it out. And as I said, with the administration that has come into the White House this week, it is so much more imperative even that we continue to have these positive discussions about life. And we'll get into that in more detail, but first I want to share with you a little bit of what is going on. All right, well, we started out this week with Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Martin Luther King Jr., as you may well know and hopefully well know, um, was a civil rights leader in the 1960s and... You may remember this. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. One day live in a nation where they will not be judged. 
And Martin Luther King Jr. definitely had a worthy dream, something that we should all embrace. Every person that has been made, regardless of their skin color, regardless of where they come from, regardless of their social class, has been endowed by their creator with the inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as outlined by our Constitution and our Declaration of Independence. These are truths that cannot be gotten away from. But I want you to consider something for just a moment. This week, we inaugurated Joe Biden, President of the United States. And... As part of his ticket, Kamala Harris became the first woman to hold the office of vice president. And she became the first woman of color to hold the office of vice president. And in some ways, that is a very noble accomplishment. But I I think it's overshadowed by the fact that she is someone who does not hold a biblical worldview. She is 100% pro-abortion. She wants people to buy the lie that abortion is health care. She's been on record saying that she wants to take away people's right to bear arms, which is in the Second Amendment of the Constitution. So there's a couple of things I want to say about the inauguration that occurred today. The number one thing is I want to tell you what I will not do. I am not going to go on Facebook or any other social media and say that Joe Biden is not my president. I believe that I need to respect the office of president of the United States. And Joe Biden, one way or the other, is the choice for that role. I believe that for whatever reason, God has allowed Joe Biden to take that office. And I will pray for him daily that he will make wise decisions. I want him to succeed because I want our country to succeed. However, there is nothing to me exciting about the first woman vice president or the first woman of color vice president, because if you don't espouse the most important belief, which is that everyone has a right to life, then I can't get excited about you being in office. And the reality is that all these things that people are saying about how great it is for a woman to be in this position, to me they don't matter unless you have character, unless you have a biblical morality. Let's keep in mind the hypocrisy here. For just a few months ago, or even less, when Amy Coney Barrett was sworn into the Supreme Court, the Girl Scouts put up a post um, congratulating her on being just the fifth woman selected in the history of the court. Then they were pressured by the media and social media as it stands to take it down. And they apologized for being political. 
the reality is that if a woman who was of color but had conservative values got into this office, we wouldn't be singing their praises. Just a couple of weeks ago, Raphael Warnock won election to the Senate in Georgia. And people were over the moon about how great it was that a man of color had been elected to the Senate in Georgia. Don't get me wrong, I think he deserves every other right that other people have. But I don't care what color you are. I don't care what gender you are if you don't espouse biblical values. If you don't put God first. Now, I know that President Trump was not perfect. But I also know that he was a friend to Israel that he loved the unborn, that he rescued persecuted Christians from other countries, and he did great things for this country, regardless of whether you liked him or all of his policies. I'm sorry, but I cannot in good conscience get excited about someone who is achieving a first in politics just because of their color or their gender. We need to defend the weakest among us. The Biden administration has told us in no uncertain terms that they want to codify Roe versus Wade into law. That tells me, A, that they realize that Roe versus Wade isn't currently law, and B, that they want to drive home that they don't care about the sanctity of human life. And there is no denying that an unborn baby is human life. And so I will be praying for this administration. I will be praying for President Biden, for Vice President Harris. I will pray that God will get a hold of them, that they will seek him for salvation. But I'm not going to pretend to be happy with their policies and the the direction that they want to take this country. It actually is very scary some of the things that they want to do. And on a lesser note, from the sanctity of human life issue, is just, let's let's throw this out here, the minimum wage issue. Do you realize that if the minimum wage actually hikes to $15, and I understand it probably wouldn't happen overnight, but if it did, I would probably lose my job. I work at a small non-profit. 
They're not going to probably pay me $15 to do what I do, especially if it's the minimum. Because if they were to keep up with where I'm at in relation to the minimum wage, they'd have to pay me like probably 16 or $17. And I just can't see that happening. The last time we had a major um, minimum wage hike here in Michigan when we went from $6 an hour minimum wage to $7.40 an hour, it wasn't long after that that every wage at Right to Life of Michigan was frozen. I was there for 10 years. I think it was frozen for the final four. These are things that you need to consider when thinking about whether you actually want some of the things that are happening. It's easy to say, well, I want the government to give me this, or I, or I think it would be great if the government gave me that. But the question we need to ask, the responsible question to ask is, where is the money coming from? I mean, that's just basic economics, folks. That's not bashing anyone in particular. That's not going on a tirade. It's just basic economics. And so I implore you to pray for our president, for our vice president, and for everyone who is in leadership. That they would submit themselves under the mighty hand of God. I pray for President Trump and for Melania as they leave office. I pray that God would bless their family and I pray also for them if they have not had a true life-changing experience with the Lord Jesus that they would do so. And now I want to share our quote of the day. Our quote of the day comes from Alan Keyes and he's speaking about the pro-life issue. And he says, I frankly don't care if you agree with my stand on abortion. I take that stand because no other stand is consistent with decent principles and no other standard is consistent with the will of God. And for those of you who don't know the name Alan Keyes, he was a man who ran for president in 1996 and the year 2000 in the primaries. He served as an ambassador um, for the United States, I believe under George H.W. Bush, and he ran for president as a principled, biblically-based conservative. That is why I voted for him. Him being black had nothing to do with it. At the same time, it was not celebrated by the left as something to rejoice in that we had a candidate who was someone of color who was running for president. And as a matter of fact, the liberal left tends to say, if you have conservative values... You're not black enough. And we even had our current president say during the campaign, if you don't vote for me, this being Biden, if you don't vote for me, you're not black. And so that is why I cringe whenever I see a Facebook post rejoicing in the fact that we have the first female woman of color as vice president. Because to me, the fact that she's a woman and the fact that she is of color is of no consequence when it comes to becoming the president or vice president. 
What matters is their character. What matters is their rootedness in biblical principles. And their love for the Constitution, which guarantees rights to all human beings. And so, I really, as we go into our conversation today, I want to make sure that I'm very clear. I have no problem with the fact that she is a woman of color. I have no problem with the fact that she's a woman. Uh, there were women uh, in the primaries in the past that I would have wholeheartedly supported for the office of president. I supported Sarah Palin when she ran for vice president. I would have supported Michelle Bachman or Carly Fiorina when they ran for president. It's not about gender. I remember Hillary Clinton saying the reason people didn't vote for me was because I was a woman. No, it's not about that. It's about the moral stands that you take. It's about um, saying that unborn human life is not human life and it's not worth defending. That's what it's about. It's ironic that Hillary Clinton begins her book, Here's What Happened, by talking about a legacy that she wants to build for her grandchildren all the while saying it's okay for people the age of her grandchildren and younger, specifically while they're in the womb, to be killed. That is why this issue is so important to me, and that is why as we unpack this issue of the sanctity of human life, that I'm going to be probably the bluntest and perhaps the most passionate that you've ever heard me because this is an important issue in the time in which we live. But we were placed here for such a time as this. All right, well... With that lead-in, I want to bring us back to Martin Luther King Jr. Um, because we started out talking about Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and many people um, use Martin Luther King as an example of someone who um, would be for abortion. Um, the Democrats um, use him... Uh, as a picture of someone of faith that believed in the mission of Planned Parenthood. Uh, but as I was researching this, I came across a couple different things that I found very interesting. And the first one is a interview that Elveda King did, Dr. Elveda King, who is the niece of Martin Luther King Jr. And she had some interesting things to say about the pro-life movement and about her uncle. So let's give this a listen. Your uncle, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, was able to bring this nation together through prayer and through unity. Abortion is one of the most divisive issues. So what can pro-lifers take away from your uncle when it comes to bringing unity together for life? My uncle, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., 
the brother of my father, Reverend A.D. King, and their daddy, Daddy King, Martin Luther King Sr., valued the sanctity of life. Uncle M.L., Martin Luther King, said the Negro cannot win if he's willing to sacrifice the futures of his children for immediate personal comfort and safety. Mm. Planned Parenthood is not being honest when they say that Martin Luther King Jr. would support their agenda. Mm. He valued the sanctity of life. And I believe that that is something that everyone should be able to embrace in order to build a strong community, in order to be people of faith. We must value life from conception until natural death. That means the babies in the womb, the poor, the well, the rich, the sick, the elderly, everyone. And it wouldn't matter what our skin color is because we're one human race anyway. And I believe if my uncle were here today or my dad or grandfather, they would encourage me in delivering this message. And so there you have it. She talks about Martin Luther King Jr. being for the sanctity of human life. And as his niece, I would think that she would know. Now, there's something that I want to point out here because it was pointed out to me via a YouTube video, and so I did further research on it. And the fact is that it is true that Martin Luther King Jr. received an award from Planned Parenthood in the 1960s. But interestingly enough, as I did my research, I found that Planned Parenthood, although the roots indeed are eugenic, and that is an awful thing, that at least in the 60s, prior to the legalization of abortion, their focus was on birth control and and not on abortion. First of all, the fact of the matter is that there were pro-life people who were on the board of Planned Parenthood. Now, that um, might be at the, at the best misguided, but here's, here's what Life News said about Martin Luther King. It says, Dr. Martin Luther King certainly believed in birth control, but all the evidence uh, available shows that he was staunchly against abortion. One researcher writes, Dr. Martin Luther King stridently denounced abortion as a form of genocide in many speeches. Dr. King did, in fact, receive the Margaret Singer Award in 1966, but it is also a fact that in 1966, Planned Parenthood was still at least publicly anti-abortion. They were using a pamphlet they wrote in 1963 called Is Birth Control Abortion? The pamphlet read, Is Birth Control Abortion? Definitely not. An abortion kills the life of a baby after it has begun. It is dangerous to your life and health. It may make you sterile so that when you want a child, you cannot have it. Birth control merely postpones the beginning of human life or the beginning of life. And that is a a birth control abortion Planned Parenthood pamphlet from August of 1963. And so even Planned Parenthood at one point acknowledged that abortion kills a baby. And now we've spun the narrative so much that not only does abortion supposedly not kill a baby, but it is health care, a health care that was deemed essential by the great governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer. 
How can any of us who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ feel good about this development? I ask you. We need to take a good, long, hard look at the way we value children. And on that note, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna state publicly and without shame that I think that the church has some blame in this because the way that we treat children and having children in general is much like those who seek abortion. Because we say, I'm going to use birth control to allow me to have children on my own schedule when it's convenient for me. I just want to challenge you here. If you look at the reasons why people have abortions, and then you think about the reasons that you use birth control or that our society thinks that birth control is a good idea, when you compare those two things, how different are the lists? What are the things that we hear often? I don't have time for a baby. I'm not old enough for a baby. My career isn't ready for a baby. All these things are legitimate reasons why people have abortions and they're legitimate reasons, supposedly, why people use birth control. I really think that we need to evaluate how we feel about children because if we expect the world to love children and embrace life, then we as the church need to do that. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. I've watched my parents raise 11 children. They've had a lot of struggles. But one thing my dad always told me is God pays for what he delivers. And I watched that happen over and over again in my life. And I also want to mention here that I actually found online in a live action .org article, which I will post on the blog, a copy of one of those old pamphlets where Planned Parenthood says abortion kills life after it's begun. The proof is there on this website. So even Planned Parenthood proved that they were willing to change their narrative to fit what was popular, to sway and to change with the times. So I guess what, I, what I'm trying to get to is that Margaret Sanger used birth control as a bridge to get to abortion. And that doesn't even get into the fact that certain birth controls, more than others, are direct abortifacients, meaning that a baby can actually be formed but not able to live in the womb because of what the birth control pill has accomplished. All I'm asking you to do as you're listening to this is to take an honest look at this issue and say, God, where do you want me to go from here? 
I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying that it's just a snap of the fingers and everything's better. I'm just asking you to get alone with God and ask him, what do you want me to do about this? What should my response be in this issue? And I think that if we as the church can embrace children the way Jesus embraced children, when he said, let the little children come unto me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of heaven, then we can see a change in this area. All right, well, as we're continuing on, the next thing that I want to talk about is that Arkansas, as of December, was named the most pro-life state in the Union. So I am going to play an audio clip with the director of Arkansas Right to Life um, talking about this. And I just think it's really encouraging to know that uh, there are people that care to investigate this and really give us an idea of who is doing what in the pro-life movement. I know it was a big deal when I was working at Right to Life in Michigan. We we often um, got an F from NARAL, the National Abortion Rights Action League, uh, for our work in the pro-life movement and the fact that we had been so active in making sure that we valued life as a state. And really that's one of the more exciting things is that if Roe versus Wade, which is a Supreme Court decision, not a law, were to fall, then we would be in one of the best positions to then embrace life in Michigan because we actually passed a very strict law regarding abortion before Roe versus Wade was passed by the Supreme Court in January of 1973. Americans United for Life named Arkansas the most pro-life state in December of 2020. So I want you to hear a clip from the president of Arkansas Right to Life reacting to that wonderful news. This is a great day. Arkansas has been named the number one pro-life state in the nation by Americans United for Life. Uh, we're very proud of that designation. Uh, we've got a lot of good pro-life legislation that has led up to this. We've got a fantastic conservative legislature, all conservative constitutional officers. Uh, it goes down the line. Everybody's pro-life. All the elected officers are. That's how we got to this point. But we've got so much more work left to do. There's so many things left to do uh, legislatively, but all so a big piece of this is the education. We can't stop abortion until we can change the minds and the hearts of those who feel otherwise. So Arkansas Right to Life, yes, we're very happy about this. We're pleased beyond uh, words to share about being number one in the nation. We want everybody else to catch up to us from that standpoint. We want everybody to have that pro-life mindset. We want everyone to know, as most Arkansans do, Life begins at conception, and they value it from that point on, and we protect those most innocent, weak among us, the unborn child. 
We're happy about number one. We want to keep moving forward. We never stop. We never look back. Never, never, never give up. That's what Winston Churchill says. We believe it too. And on a slightly different tip, uh, we actually have news that Missouri is the first abortion-free state after hearing about the closure of their last abortion clinic very recently. And that is an exciting thing to celebrate. And it really started with the governor of Missouri signing a bill um, in 2019, I believe, that dealt with the heartbeat bill. You know, over the last couple of years, year and a half to two years, particularly states have really been um, taking sides on this issue because they wanted to make sure that they were prepared uh, to fall on the side of life that they felt passionate about. Uh, when Roe versus Wade falls, because they see it as a real distinct possibility, especially with the current conservative um, makeup of the court, which, by the way, I think has yielded some positive results. Another thing that happened this past week is that by a 6-3 to three decision, the Supreme Court decided that you can't get the abortion pill via mail, that you have to go in in person to get your pill. And I, I think this does a couple things. First of all, it makes you do a deliberate action. And second of all, it keeps it in the realm of a medical procedure because I love the fact. And by love, I I'm speaking, um, sarcastically. I love the fact about how they consider it a medical procedure, but then they do everything to minimize the medicalness of the procedure. Like when I had my wisdom teeth out, for instance, they made me watch a 20 minute video about how dangerous it could potentially be. But when I, but when you go in for an abortion, they won't show you anything about the procedure on video. They don't even want to show you an ultrasound of your baby because statistics show that 90% of women will choose to keep their baby if they see the baby on an ultrasound. They do not want you to make that decision once they've got you in an abortion clinic. And so I think it's very important for us to know the truth about the way these things operate. So here's a video clip about Missouri and the beginning of their process to becoming the first state without a single abortion clinic. Now to Missouri, becoming the latest state about to put tougher restrictions on abortion. The governor saying he'll sign a bill passed by the state house and Senate. ABC Stephanie Ramos is in Washington with the series of legal battles on abortion being teed up across the country. Good morning, Stephanie. Eva, good morning. After hours of debate, Missouri passed its anti-abortion legislation with a vote of 110 to 44 as the nation watched. What do we do? Just days after Alabama passed a near-total abortion ban, the show-me state of Missouri is showing it can too. 
Missouri's House and Senate passed a bill that bans abortions after eight weeks of pregnancy. Missouri is taking a stand. Missouri stands for the unborn. Some lawmakers making emotional pleas against the bill. This is nothing but an affront, not to Roe versus Wade, but to what it stands for, to the U.S. Constitution itself. The right to privacy in this country, privacy from intrusion from your government. The law goes into effect in Missouri as soon as Republican Governor Mark Parsons signs the bill. And he's hinted he will. In Missouri's only remaining abortion clinic, Dr. David Eisenberg is concerned. When women don't think there's an option for a safe, legal, and accessible abortion in their state or near them, they're going to seek whatever care they can find. And many women are going to be hurt or injured or potentially lose their life. And so there you have it. Missouri began this process by passing their heartbeat bill, which basically said that any abortions uh, past eight weeks could not be done. And as a direct result of that, this week I saw the news that the last abortion clinic in Missouri has closed. So I rejoice in that news. And it just shows you how every little piece of this process is important and necessary to making this happen. It doesn't happen overnight, but we can rejoice in the gains. And any gain that we have in this regard is a plus. Any life saved is worth it. There's an old story about a little boy who is walking along the sea And he's picking up starfish and throwing them back into the water. And he keeps doing it. And someone calls out to him and says, you'll never be able to get all those starfish back into the water. You'll never be able to save them all. And he picks up another starfish and he says, no, but I made a difference in this one's life. And that's really the way that we need to approach the abortion issue is not to give up. And I believe not to take an all-or-nothing approach. Now, there are some organizations out there who say, if if you're not outlawing all abortion, you're not doing good enough. Now, I, I am going to go on record here and unequivocally say that I don't think there are any excuses for abortion because... Even if you were going to use the life of the mother as an excuse, uh, number one, it only constitutes about 1% of all abortions. Number two, if you're truly saving the wife, the mother's life and the baby dies, I don't even think in some circumstances we would consider that abortion, especially in the case of like a tubal pregnancy or things of that nature. And if it really comes down to it, a mother should be willing to give their life for their child. That is, that should be the mindset of a mother. And I think that should be the mindset of any parent, is to give their life for their child. Now that being said, I don't know if I was faced with that situation, how I would react. If I had a wife and they said, 
We need to save your wife or the child. I don't know exactly how I would react. It's very possible that I might say, save my wife. Because I haven't been faced with that situation, so I can't fully know. But I know that it is a parent's prerogative to give their life for the betterment of their child. And any one of us who are parents, any anyone out there who is a parent, would probably say that without shame. But the greater problem with this life of the mother exception is we've broadened it in a lot of circles to include things like mental health, financial health, emotional health, to the point that the health of the, the life and health of the mother can mean anything. And it no longer means a true life and death situation. So I applaud Missouri for being the first abortion-free state. Not sure how long that will last, but I'm excited about the fact of that. And I just wanted to let you know, just for your fact, um, just for your fact-finding mission, this was posted on Christian headlines, and it was dated Thursday, January 14th. And uh, it was in a report from Operation Rescue um, that was the status of American abortion facilities in 2020. And it said that 45 abortion facilities had closed or halted abortions nationwide in 2020, leaving one state without an active abortion facility, and that was Missouri. So I'm very excited about that. And our final story that I want to talk to you about today comes from Massachusetts. Now, this is kind of surprising, pleasantly so, um, that... Governor Charlie Baker, the governor of Massachusetts, vetoed a bill extending late-term abortions very recently. I think it was uh, within three weeks. I will post some of these articles on the blog so that you can fact-check me. And so that you can see that this wonderful news is real and you can research it for yourself. But here is what was said about Charlie Baker um, vetoing this bill. There's been a huge push to protect reproductive rights on Beacon Hill, but so far all the attempts made by the legislature have been unsuccessful. 22 News State House reporter Jody Reed is live in Boston tonight to explain the new developments on this debate today. And Jody Baker vetoed this bill today. Today, Governor Baker sent the Roe Act back to the legislature because he doesn't agree with the bill's language. 
In a letter to the legislature, Governor Baker said he simply cannot support a part of the bill that would allow women ages 16 and 17 to get an abortion without parental consent. The current law requires women ages 18 and younger to have consent from either a parent or a judge in order to receive an abortion. And that's something that the legislature is adamant about changing. And there you have it. Governor Baker um, vetoed this long-term abortion expansion that Massachusetts was trying to get through. And the fight's not over. They may try to override him. But I was very grateful for what he said here. And his biggest reason for vetoing it was because um, he wanted to stop minors from being able to access abortion. Um, He said minors, the ages of 16 and 17 right now, need parental consent or the consent of a judge to get an abortion, and he wanted to keep it that way. And there's a couple things I want to mention. First of all, on the last uh, clip that I played about the Missouri bill, Notice one thing that one of the liberal legislators said. He said that this bill infringes on a woman's rights to privacy and to choose and puts government, gets government involved in this woman's right. We don't want government involved in abortion, is what he said, essentially. But the irony of that statement is that the whole reason that government is currently involved in the abortion issue is because in 1973, the Supreme Court decided to overrule all of the will of the people, all of the laws that had been made on the state level, and infringe themselves on this issue. And so, of course, in order to put things back the way they were and to give the power back to the states, then we must get the government involved, quote-unquote. But it's it's kind of interesting, the hypocrisy there, when he says, I don't want the government involved, but the government created the Roe versus Wade decision. The government allowed that to stand. And as I said before, the fact that that Joe Biden wants to codify it into law tells me that they're not going to stop pushing this agenda that the murder of the unborn is legitimate legislative action. It's wrong. And I really think that we need to be praying for this issue. How can we say that we care about our fellow Americans? How can we say that we care about the families of America when we don't care about the most vulnerable among us? And the pro-life issue isn't just for the unborn either. Need I remind you that, as I stated a few weeks back on my show, the man that Biden wants on his coronavirus task force wrote an Atlantic article, which I guess was an excerpt from his book, where he stated 
that people should not live past 75. That anything past 75 is simply being old and decrepit. These are dangerous things. Dangerous ideologies to get into. Where we are placing arbitrary values on human life. Human life isn't valuable because the government says it is. Human life isn't valuable because the world says, I can do this, so therefore I'm valuable. Because if you put that parameter on it, then you're saying, the moment I can't do that, I cease to be valuable. No, the bottom line is you are valuable because you were created in the image of God. And so, my biggest prayer and hope is that we truly, truly think about these things and think about the way that we process them in the public square. Because it could be easy to keep your head down and say, well, I don't believe that abortion is right, but I'm not going to tell anyone else what they should or should not do. You wouldn't say that about murder. You wouldn't say, well, I I don't think murder is right, but I can't tell anybody else that murder is wrong. No, you would tell them. As a matter of fact, our very justice system tells them that murder is wrong. We put people in prison for murder. You wouldn't say suddenly that stealing is wrong for me personally, but I, I wouldn't condemn anybody else from stealing. No, you wouldn't. So why do we do that on this issue? I'm not talking to the world here when I say this, okay? The world is going to embrace abortion. Why? Because we are made in the image of God, because Satan hates our image. The Bible says the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And nowhere does he do that more than in abortion. He steals the idea of motherhood from women. He tells them that motherhood will degrade them, that they won't be able to accomplish their goals. We had an, we had an Oscar winner bragging about how her abortion allowed her to win the Oscar because she wouldn't have been able to win it if it had been for her child's interference. He kills the future. The devil kills the future. And he destroys a nation. Does anybody else find it ironic that one of the major pillars of the Democratic platform is to kill off their potential future voters? To me, this makes no sense. But it's because the eyes of the world are blind. And because the devil who hates human beings, who hates mankind has persuaded men to believe the lie that babies are an inconvenience. And as we said, even Planned Parenthood in the 1960s acknowledged the humanity of the unborn baby. 
That was mind-blowing for me to find out this week. Because I, I used to couch my my speaking about the issues of life, saying, well, in the 1970s, perhaps we didn't know that babies were human beings. And as ultrasound technology has gotten better, now we're in a state where we cannot deny it. And I still believe we have more case than ever that the unborn child is a human. But even in the 1960s, Planned Parenthood knew that abortion killed a baby. And yet they're peddling this lie that they somehow did not. Or that it somehow still is not. And that, my friends, is wrong. So what is our takeaway from this episode? Well, first of all, we need to pray. The Bible says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth not much. We can believe God when he says that our prayers will be effective if we call upon him from a pure heart. How do we get a pure heart? By praying to him, by confessing our sins, and by asking him to be the Savior and Lord of our lives. That's how we get a pure heart. And then our prayers become effective. So that's number one. Number two, we need to have an honest time of introspection and a look at things from a scriptural worldview and say to ourselves, how do I value God's greatest gift of children? And once we have arrived at that place where we realize that children are a treasure from the Lord, and that he has given us the great privilege and blessing of having these children. And we refrain from speaking of children in negative ways. Then we can show the world that things are different. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And I really believe that having the proper response to children is a good way to show the world that we're different. If we're in a place where we're not dreading the fact that our kids are maybe home with us more because of the pandemic, if we're in a place where we rejoice in seeing the world through our children's eyes, the world will take notice. So one, pray. Two, take stock of our own views regarding children. And three, encourage people who are having children or who are raising small children. Even in the church, I feel like we marginalize the the job and the task of motherhood. 
for people who say that motherhood is not a big enough job. They are buying a lie that the culture is selling full barrel. Our culture tells us that if you're just a mom, there's a problem. The Bible says that mother is a high calling. The Bible says that you're supposed to keep your home, love your husband, and love your children. And why does it say those things? So that the word of God will be not blasphemed. It's not separate from theology. It is theology. I hope and pray that this podcast has been encouraging to you. If it has, please share it with your family and friends. Please let them know that we are here every week to try to give you encouragement in this wonderful journey that we call the Christian life. We do this not because we have it all together, not because we know all the answers, but because we know, because I know, who does. And I want to give that hope to you. And I am so appreciative for everyone who listens. And I, again, I hope that you have a blessed week. And that as we celebrate that 48th anniversary this Friday, that you will take some time to reflect on the sanctity of human life. The March for Life, which has taken place every year, will be virtual this year, which is kind of a bummer uh, because it's hard um, for a march to be virtual because the purpose of the march is to show the world how we feel about life. But hopefully... Technology being what it is will allow us to continue to share with others our view on the sanctity of human life, that God values life, and so that is why we do as well. With that being said, I will simply say, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. And may your life in him be truly abundant. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.